0: Thank you, President Cush, for that introduction and this invitation. My dear brothers and sisters, thank you for allowing me a few minutes of your time today. I've prayed for the spirit to accompany my preparations and my presentation this day. I hope you will do likewise. I came to the Institute at the LDS Business College just this year with somewhat unexpected timing and somewhat unique circumstances. I didn't expect this teaching assignment but I've been so pleased and so blessed to be here. There's a very special spirit on the campus of LDS Business College and among the student body at LDS Business College. In addition to that wonderful spirit that is present on the LDS Business College campus, one of the first things I noticed was a picture that hangs in the hallway across from the Institute on the second floor of the campus building. It's the picture or a painting of a mother She's dividing her attention and her energy between her child and her school studies. She appears to be multitasking and exhausted, but I also see her doing her best. This painting speaks to me. I'm glad it's hanging where it's hanging. It inspires me because it captures true principles that many of you are experiencing. In this world of entitlement that we live in, I happen to still believe that an education is worth sacrifice and effort. So regardless of your circumstances, I salute you. I pay tribute to those students of the LDS Business College who are seeking deep learning, the kind of learning that's a stated goal and objective at LDS Business College, and that is only possible through the guidance and help of the Holy Ghost. And more especially, I salute and pay tribute to those who are doing so amid specific challenges or limiting and trying personal circumstances. May the Lord bless you. President Russell M. Nelson's recent emphasis and invitation to each of us to study the First Vision has been particularly rewarding to me personally. I have enjoyed the time I have spent there. My study has led me to look at this account of the First Vision word by word and phrase by phrase. I have also looked at the other accounts of this event and my testimony and understanding have been enhanced. As often happens, studying one true principle leads to others. I found myself looking at the different times that the Father has introduced His Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. There are recorded in Scripture four times that the Father has spoken to man and introduced his Son—at the baptism of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the appearance of Christ to the Nephites, is recorded in the Book of Mormon, and the first vision of Joseph Smith. As the Father introduces His Son, He said at the first vision, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Among the Nephites, the Father said, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name hear ye him. At Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke from the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Looking at these introductions, I had the thought, what if my Heavenly Father were introducing me? How would my Heavenly Father introduce me? Is it possible that my Heavenly Father, introducing me, or you for that matter, would use some of the same phrases? I would like to consider today two of the phrases. Phrase number one, this is my beloved son or daughter. Would Heavenly Father publicly announce His love for me or you? Absolutely. I do not believe that our Heavenly Father would be reticent to withhold an expression of His love for any of His children. Everything He does and all that He is are expressions of His love. Every element of His perfect plan of salvation manifests His love. The creation of this earth and countless others, the fall of Adam and Eve—ushering in our own mortal experiences—and the Atonement of Jesus Christ all manifest the love of the Father to each of us. Every divine law, every pattern by which He functions, all express His love. Of course He would declare His love. He already has, and He does. Our Heavenly Father possesses a divine ability to love each of us perfectly. He does not divide a finite amount of time or attention or love among His children. Rather, He possesses a divine attribute, which allows Him to give His time, attention, and love to each of us as if we were His only child. What He does ask in return is that we treat Him as if He is our only God. Paul taught that God loves us and that nothing changes His love for us. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. The first truth of heaven is that God loves us. Of course, He would surely introduce you as a beloved child. Let's consider phrase number two—in whom I am well pleased. Perhaps He would use this phrase if we are conducting our lives and using our agency in a pleasing way. But in judging yourself, be optimistic be kind. He's probably more pleased with us than we'll allow ourselves to believe. I remember well the motivation I felt as a youth and a child to choose wisely because I did not want to disappoint my mother or my father. I'm still motivated by that to this day. I love them. My mother's passed on, and I only see my father on occasion, but I still want to please them. I've always known they had high expectations for me. I've tried to meet those expectations. Thankfully, their expectations were not for me to be perfect, but to be facing the right direction and striving to move forward. It's always been my blessing to have their desires for me be in line with my Heavenly Father's desires for me. That pattern made for an easy transition to my Heavenly parents and my desire to please them. I love my Heavenly Father, and I know He has high expectations for me as well. As I have matured and become more and more spiritually attuned, my love for my Heavenly Father is increasing, and I desire to please Him at least as much as my earthly parents. Well-pleasing to the Lord is code for doing His will. When we are doing His will, He is well-pleased. In order to do His will, and to have Him be well-pleased, we must know His will. His will isn't a grand mystery. It's accessible to anyone and everyone who seeks it. It's constantly before our eyes to instruct and remind. The scriptures illustrate the high priority that Jesus placed on doing His Father's will. Early in His ministry, Jesus stated, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Later, he would proclaim, No man can come unto me except he doeth the will of my Father who hath sent me. And this is the will of him who hath sent me, that ye receive the Son, for the Father beareth record of him. And he who receiveth the testimony and doeth the will of him who sent me, I will raise up in the resurrection of the just. And then at the close of his ministry, Jesus remained true to this pattern. In Gethsemane, when even he was astonished at the immensity of the task. He yielded, he yielded His will to that of the Father with the profound phrase, Not my will, but thine be done. I do know that the scriptures contain the words of life. They teach true doctrines. Studying the scriptures is in line with the will of the Lord for each of us, and doing so will invite the Spirit into our lives. As we search the scriptures, we find the Savior showing the way. I also testify that when we are following the example of the Savior, we are doing the will of the Father for us. Let's consider the will of the Lord two ways. First, collectively—what He wants each of us to do—or all of us to do, I should say. And second, individually—what He wants each of us to do separately. The will of the Lord for all—collectively—is conveyed through living prophets—through the Scriptures. I reviewed the latest conference addresses for you (laughs) given by those we sustain as prophets so that we might consider the Father's will for us. Use this quick overview to see how you are doing. Hang in there with me. In the latest conference, Elder Soares invited us to bring forth the Book of Mormon in our own lives by prayerfully and consistently studying the words and partaking of the promises and blessings. Elder Gong challenged us to sing hallelujah. We live in a wonderful time. There are glorious days yet ahead. To be optimistic, Elder Renlund taught that every day, we should consider on the greatness of God the Father and Jesus Christ and what they've done for us. Elder Stevenson assured us that we can shore up our spiritual cornerstones and other foundational elements in our lives so as to be able to stand firm against tumultuous events that surely will come. Elder Rasband pled with us to study the prophecies of old and work to usher in their fulfillment in this dispensation of the fullness of times. Elder Anderson encouraged us to bolster our faith by recording, cherishing, and revisiting spiritually defining moments in our lives. Elder Christofferson instructed us to lift up our voice to share the urgent message of the Restoration with all. And Elder Cook invited each of us to receive instruction from the Lord through his established channels of revelation. Elder Bednar prompted us to live with a focus on the sacred covenants we have made. Elder Uchtdorf reminded us that although we are imperfect, we are to practice discipleship by hearing and following. And Elder Holland inspired us, as Elder Holland can, to cultivate our hope. Elder Ballard advised that we can cultivate gratitude and increase our determination by remembering those who have sacrificed much to build God's kingdom before us. President Eyring directed us to pray in faith and the Lord would use us in this vital work of gathering and salvation. And he helped us remember that it's the Lord leading this work we should trust him and follow him. President Oaks promised that if we, utilize the, we can utilize the power of the priesthood by recognizing and honoring the keys of that priesthood. And he instructed us that since we possess these testimonies and we've made our covenants, we're now to teach these truths to the world. And our beloved prophet, President Nelson, counseled us in four separate addresses, the same counsel he's been giving for some time, I sense an emphasis in his repetition. He taught us to seek to hear Jesus, who speaks to us through the power of the Holy Ghost, to put our faith into action, and, of course, speaking of the Savior, to hear Him. And then he closed the conference by urging us to go forward with faith in Jesus Christ, striving to keep Him at the center of all we do. That's a lot. If you are currently doing the Father's Will in all these areas, then feel free to study the talks by other speakers in General Conference. In judging whether you are doing the will of the Lord, be kind to yourself and be optimistic. You need not be doing all these things all the time, but you should be aware of the will of the Lord and making an effort to accomplish His will as best you can. I know that we are led by living prophets who convey the will of the Lord to us as clean mirrors. Even as they teach us according to their language and their understanding, they do not distort or alter the message and the will of the Lord. Rather, they reflect the will of the Lord to us. To paraphrase Isaiah, how beautiful are those messengers that publish good tidings and peace, that turn us to Christ and urge us toward the salvation that comes through Him. Now Let's consider the will of the Father for individuals. I've talked about sources for learning the will of the Lord generally, as it applies to everyone. But what about the individual instruction that the Lord has for each of us? How do we learn His will for us today, our errand, if you will? The will of the Father for individuals is conveyed frequently and continuously through the Spirit. President Nelson has been counseling us with a two-word message, hear him. He's urging us to seek to hear Jesus, who speaks through the power of the Holy Ghost. Elder Bednar has taught this principle numerous times and places where I've been privileged to be present. He says, you can take notes, but be sure you write down what is not said. And President Monson taught, As we read and ponder the scriptures, we will experience the sweet whisperings of the Spirit to our souls. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Ghost will take the general truths and doctrines that we find in scriptures and the words of living prophets and apply them to our individual circumstances. Consider a few examples. My wife's name is Cammie. I hope you are able to meet her someday. She's a choice daughter and an elect lady. A turning point in raising our children came when she was in the scriptures, as was then and still is her pattern. She received instruction from the Holy Ghost through the words of Jacob and the sermon by King Benjamin, both instructed and modeled working with those among whom you labor. This was a game changer for our family. We determined, then, to do things together with our children whenever we could. We worked together. We played together. We mourned together. We rejoiced together. And as a result of this pattern, we are still loving doing things with our children, whom are now adults and are doing things with their spouses and children—not because King Benjamin labored with his people. And not because Zenith taught that the Lord of the vineyard worked with the laborers, but because the Holy Ghost took that word, with, deep into my wife's heart and taught her a principle that we've tried to live by. Another simple example, much more recent. Michaela is our oldest child. She and her daughter, Millie, are currently living with us while their husband and father is deployed overseas in the Air Force. We're loving it. Michaela is a little bit anxious by nature. She recently shared in a Sunday discussion that she was worrying about the timing of a particular event in her life. As she was reading the scriptures, the words, a little longer, seemed to speak to her heart. Those words were repeated three times in a few verses in Jacob chapter 5. Who in the world reads Jacob chapter five? She's glad that she did. She acted on the impression to wait a little longer. And the looming worry just seemed to take care of itself naturally in the Lord's timing. One last example. I told you that I was enjoying studying the first vision account in the Pearl of Great Price. I also mentioned that the timing of my assignment at LDS Business College was unexpected. I'm currently undergoing treatment for cancer that I was diagnosed with last summer while serving with my wife in a mission. Incidentally, I'm pleased to report the treatments seem to be having the desired effect. My cancer tumors are shrinking and disappearing. But suffice it to say that it's not a stretch, that the past year has been a roller coaster ride of emotions and an exercise in trusting the Lord for both my wife and I. At one point this past winter, I was feeling a little self-pity. This is a confession. (laughs) I'd kind of hit a plateau in my perspective on life and my purpose. And I was reading in the Joseph Smith history when some words out of verse 13 seemed to jump right off the page at me. I saw the words, I must remain or I must do. Now, they were out of context considering the scriptural text, but they were a message to me from the Holy Ghost to keep doing—to keep trying. This experience was just the motivation I needed at that moment to renew my energy and recommit to doing the daily tasks and the patterns that the Lord expects of me. I love the Holy Ghost and His direct personal teaching. My dear brothers and sisters, I do know that the Holy Ghost can and will speak to us, and that scripture study is one of the quickest and surest ways to invite this influence and instruction. I also know our Heavenly Father makes His will known to us as quickly and as often as we seek it. It is my prayer that our relationship with our Heavenly Father will be such that we truly desire to please Him. I also testify that He has high expectations for us and that He loves effort. He does not expect perfection, but it is pleasing to Him when we are on the path, facing the right direction, and doing our best to move forward. We find our place in this work, and we find ourselves as we engage in doing His will. I further testify that it is worth whatever effort or sacrifice that we have to give in order to qualify for the Father's introduction, my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.